Hey, I'm wondering, before we dive into James, if you would indulge me just for a second, okay? I want to ask a, a quick survey. This is unofficial, okay, but uh, I've got three quick questions. How many of you uh, filled out an NCAA bracket? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, Most, many of you. There's 17.3 million of us on, on ESPN who did anyway, so okay. How, how many of you like tore it up after the first weekend? Yeah, okay. Uh, here's, here's a serious question. How many of you could care less? How many of you just really don't? Okay. Okay, so to all of you who could care less, I apologize because I am that guy. I love this time of year. I mean, I didn't fill out one bracket. I filled out five. I mean, and, and I just, I love watching the competition and the teams and it's just a great time of year. I, I love it. It's, uh, it's fun. It's not just the college game. Uh, it's also, you know, the high school games. I, I really enjoyed that. I know that you're celebrating a state championship here in Cedar Falls, which is awesome. Uh, you know, congratulations. There's lots of great teams that, that represented us in this area. And in fact, in Grundy Center, where I live, uh, we enjoyed following the girls team. Uh, they made it all the way to the state championship and fell just a little bit short. But they had a great year, and so I, I want to give a shout out to, uh, to those girls because as I was watching them, I observed some things, and it reminded me of my teaching, so you're going to see the connection, but uh, hopefully. Um, but, you know, one, one thing I want to just say to Matt Lindemann and coaching staff at Grundy that I noticed that was, uh, I think, as we watched those girls uh, travel through the state uh, championship uh, game, was, was a couple things. One was that they had a clear game plan. They knew what they were trying to be about. They knew what they wanted to do. And so uh, they executed almost to perfection. It's a, a little bit like Chicago Loyola, I think, watching them. You can see that they've got a game plan and they, they know who they are and they know what they want to be. The other thing is, is a credit to the girls. I mean, they worked really hard they did what they needed to do in the off-season, and they prepared. But, but I would say one thing that's true of a lot of championship teams, which I saw in them, was that those girls, I felt like, submitted to, to their coaches and to one another uh, and to sought to, to, to play the roles that they had on the team. They, weren't, they had to set their egos aside. They were all cheering each other on. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. It was amazing. And, and you could see them. They just... They, they played together. They came together as a team. Now, okay, if, as I read the book of James, and we're going to close out the book of James today, in this last section, I imagine James almost like a head coach, if you will. And he's gathering his team. And he's saying, you know what? I want to give you some last words of encouragement before we go out and play the game together. Here are some things I want you to know. Here's some things I think that you need to know if we are to win, if we are to win in the kingdom of God together. Here's what you need to know. And so today I want us to explore that. What are those things that James wants us to know? As a community of faith, as people of God, what are those important things that he wants us to know? Well, the very first thing, I could summarize this, is don't quit. Don't stop. He maybe says it in a little different way. He, he might say, I think, exhibit a hopefulness and a sustained endurance. And this is what he says. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. In other words, he says, hang on. I know you're suffering. I know you're going through challenging circumstances. I know it's hard to live out this faith. But hang on. Don't give up. Keep going. Now, we had 106 students go on on mission trips this this spring. Uh, My daughter did not go on one of those groups, but she actually went down to uh, Houston to help victims of Hurricane Harvey with a group of students from her college. And um, she called me one of the nights she was there, and she said, hey, Dad, you know, it is, it is amazing. It is like you, we're not in the United States. I mean, she, she came in, and she was describing the situation, and it was, she said, it's like a third world country. There's no, there's no running water. There's no electricity. The, the houses and the, you know, are just destroyed. And in fact, where they were working, there was eight feet of water. And she goes into this neighborhood, and they're, they're tearing out drywall and gutting these homes, and they're actually helping build tiny homes for temporary housing. And uh, they were doing all these things. And I said, you know, wow, you know, what, what are you accomplishing? What do you think you're doing? And, and she said something really profound. She said, you know what, Dad, I think... For all the work we're doing, I think we're, we're providing hope. We're providing hope. I thought, wow, for these, these families, these people who've been totally devastated, they had to hang on to something. And James says, we have something to hang on to. That's what he's saying. He's saying to this Christian community, look, I know things are hard for you, but be patient, hang on. You know why? Because Jesus is near. Jesus is near. In fact, he's coming. You two be patient and stand firm because the Lord's, Lord, Lord's coming is near. The power of hope, friends. Don't give up. In fact, I read uh, Dale Archer. He's a, he's a medical doctor and a psychologist. He wrote an article. He actually works with hurricane victims. And, and he wrote an article called The Power of Hope. This is what he said. He said, I quickly found in working with victims of, that there were two types of physical survivors. There are psychological victims and psychological survivors. I realized that the mindset had nothing to do with money, education, how much was lost, or how many loved ones had died. Here are the two types of people that I see. Psychological victims, and he describes them this way. These individuals are passive, they're pessimistic, look to the past, they ask, who will help me? They despair and are consumed by their loss. They're refusing to help themselves. But then there are psychological survivors. These folks are active, they're optimistic, they look to the future. They ask, how can I help myself? They grieve, which is healthy, but they continue to persevere and fight. And then he goes on to say this, hope is the belief that circumstances will get better. It's not a wish for things to get better, it's the actual belief, the knowledge that things will get better no matter how big or small. James is saying, if we're to prevail, if we're to be the community of faith that God wants us to be, we need to be hopeful, we need to endure 
We need to say, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that light has a name, and his name is Jesus. Our hope is anchored in him. Hang on. Keep fighting. Cling to Jesus. But then he says something else, which is maybe even harder to hear for those of us who may be suffering. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hang on, don't stop, cling to Jesus. Here's why. Because God wants to do something good in you as a result of that. God wants to do something in you. For those who persevere, we call them blessed. That's a powerful and hard thing to hear. Now, one of the hard things of teaching this, I think, this this book of James is understanding the context of the people there. Now, I, I think we can understand what suffering is or hardship or betrayal or loss or all of those things, but they were being persecuted, not just suffering emotionally. They were physically being persecuted, being kicked out of their homes. You know, around the world, uh, there are Christians all over the world that are experiencing that, but we've never really experienced that here, have we? Not really. I mean, I was looking at some facts from Open Doors. They're a ministry that works with Christians around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, simply because they love Jesus. And here are some sobering statistics. 255 Christians, they say, are killed every month on average. 104 Christians are abducted every month on average. 180 Christian women are raped or sexually harassed or forced into marriage. There are 66 churches that are attacked every month. And then 160 Christians are detained and imprisoned without trial. Every month. This is gone going. That's the kind of context. And I think that's the kind of context that James is actually talking to. When he's saying this, he's saying, there's something good that can happen out of that. Now, do you believe that? I'm not so sure. (laughs) But I read this quote. It was actually from a Chinese pastor. He was speaking to people like me, leaders of the Western church. He said this. He'd spent 23 years in prison simply because he loved Jesus and was helping others know him. He said, I was pushed into a cell. And then he spoke to, us, to the Western leader. He says, but you have to push yourself into one. You have, you have no time to know God, he says. You need to build yourself a cell so you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. Simplify your life and know God. Now here's the amazing thing. Around the world, Wherever the church is persecuted, it seems like God is doing amazing things. And it's where the church itself is growing the greatest and the fastest. And I have to admit, it's true in my own life. When I've gone through hardship or trial or temptation or or hurt, in the very times that I, I really wish wasn't true, it's like God 
does something in me. And for those of us who have a sweet spirit, for those of us who hang on to Jesus, for those who cling to this hope that he is coming, he's going to make all things new, all things right, James says, we count as blessed those who persevered. So church, hang on, be hopeful, endure, be patient. Let me just shift gears. The second thing he says is this. If we are to be a prevailing church, this this church that will win, he said, we need to guard and use our tongues with care. Guard and use, it's a theme throughout James, isn't it? Use, the use of our tongues, how we speak, how we talk to one another, how we build community or tear down community is with our tongues. He says in verse nine, he says this, don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. The judge is standing out of the door. The first, the first use is he gives a negative, he said, don't do this. Don't grumble against one another. Life is hard enough. Stop it. And even under pressure, you know, the temptation often is to point the finger at the person right next to you or, or in, all of us have been a part of organizations or a workplace or maybe even a church where we've heard that grumbling and people rather than talking to each other are talking around each other or about each other. And it destroys community. It destroys it. He says, stop it, don't do it. In fact, I can almost hear Jesus' instruction to his disciples from Matthew 19 where he gives clear instruction. He says, hey, if someone does you wrong, you go to them. Talk to them. Don't talk around them. Don't talk about them. Go to them and stop grumbling. Go right to them and speak. Then he says, This, above all, my brothers and sisters, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. In other words, use your tongue in a way that brings integrity. Like, let your words and your actions align with one another. And that's powerful. As a community of faith, if our words and our actions and our deeds would align with each other, with with themselves, that is powerful. Don't Don't swear, like set yourself up for failure. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Hey, church, if we are to prevail, let's not grumble against one another. Let's let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's just live up to our word, be people of our word. And then he says, he gives some positive instruction. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how to use your words. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. In other words, bring your life before God. Use your words to praise. Use your words to pray. Use your words to petition for one another and care for one another. There's power in that. And then he goes on and gives some 
some instructions. I know that we could delve deep into what is he saying about prayer here? Or what is he saying about this? But I want you to hear it from a, a standpoint of this community of faith. How are we going to build community? Well, stop grumbling. Now build each other up. Praise. Pray. Be with one another. In fact, if someone's sick, call the elders and have them anoint them and pray. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. You know, as a young pastor, I'll, I, I remember a phone call that I received. Um, it was from an older woman in our church, and I knew that she was not well. In fact, she was not well at all. People were anticipating that she might pass away. And so I got the call, and I, I, I go to the, the hospital, and, uh, and I remember having conversation with the family and uh, talking with them, and, and she'd been through so much and so many different procedures uh, had been done, and the doctors were really reluctant to do anything, and they were just basically waiting for her to die. And so I gave my condolences and encouragement, and I remember thinking, you know, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer, simple prayer of faith. <laughs> Say, Lord, would you be with them in the midst of the struggle? Would you give them encouragement? Would you give them hope? Would you help them persevere in the midst of this trial? And would you, by your grace, would you restore her back to health? And, and God, we trust you, no matter what. And that's what I did. I, I prayed and I said, we'll see you. I walked out. Uh, I go about my business, and the next day, I'm thinking about this family, and so I called the hospital, this was later in the day, and I called and said, hey, is, is so-and-so in the hospital? And they were like, no, she went home. Like, home to Jesus? You know, I, I didn't know, no, went home. Went home to her home. <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding me. No, it's true, and so I get on the off the phone, I, I quick called her up and I said, hey, what happened? She said, well, you wouldn't believe it. I, I mean, that during the night, I started feeling so much better. I asked for food and by, by morning, I was just, I was like, I want to go home. And the doctors come in and they were like, okay, we'll, we'll let you go home. They didn't even know what to say. And, and it was an amazing thing and it, it expanded my faith and I thought, wow, in that context, we simply prayed, and God did something amazing. Now, I know that some of you have been through um, a, a group called The Journey. We call it The Journey. It's a leadership development process. It's a, it's a small group experience. It's something that uh, our church has done for a long time. And I know for, for a fact that, that one of the most powerful experiences of that group life is when the folks in in that group get to share their story with one another. I mean, consistently, that's like the high point of the whole time. And they, they share their stories, and in that context where there's been trust and they've, they've been practicing some of the things that, that James is talking about, they share their life story. And it's amazing, almost inevitably, people will share things that they've never ever shared before with another human being and something happens in the life of that group 
where there's confession and where there's forgiveness and where there's healing and where people are going, wow, I never knew community life could be so good and so rich and so deep. That's what James is talking about here. Come to a place where you're, you're offering prayer for one another, where you're confessing to one another, where you're building each other up rather than tearing each other down. Life is hard enough. Can we be a community of faith that uses our words to minister and care for one another? That's enough. I've said enough on that, okay? I know I need to keep going. Let me just end in verse 19. I want to jump there. James says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So James is talking to this group. He's talking to his team. He's saying, you know what? If we're going to win, if we're going to prevail in the kingdom of God, if we're going to be this community of faith, here's the deal. We need to help people find their way back to God. And that's how he leaves it. We need to help people find their way back to God. It's a big deal. You know, the Bible has this, this idea at the very beginning that, that we were created by, by this loving creator, this God, who wanted to rule and reign with us in perfect communion with him. But we all know that that's not really the reality of our life or of the life in the world. That we all tend to reject God. We all seem to go our own way. We want to live our own life. In fact, we say, shove off God. You know, I've got a better way to live. I can live my own life better. And the Bible calls that sin. And it goes on to say that the wages or the reward of that rebellion, that rebellion against God, is death. That's the reward. And James recognizes it. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so in enters Jesus into the story Palm Sunday is all about Jesus entering into that story. We've rebelled against God. We said, shove off God. I want to live life my own way. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to show them a different kind of way. And I'm going to rescue them from death. And he goes in as a servant leader to the cross. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. This servant leader entering into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And there at the cross, the Bible says, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He brings us to God. He rescues us. He makes this atoning sacrifice, if you will. And then he kind of clears the path and he says, now it's up to you. How are you going to live? You going to live your own way? Or are you going to seek to follow me and live my way? It's up to you. 
Now, the Christian life for me is not about perfection and sort of, you know, living this Jesus way of life. No, it's about consistently saying, I'm taking off this crown of, uh, of my life and saying, you know what, I'm not in charge. I'm seeking to let someone else be in charge. I'm seeking to follow this different way. I want to live a life of faith and trust that what Jesus did for me rescued me. And then, friends, can we be the kind of people that would allow others and help others to find their way in that? You know, quick story. Several years ago, I had a gentleman walk into my office and uh, he was very distraught. And I got to tell you, I did not like the guy. He was a mean man. He was abusive. He was, uh, yeah. In my family vernacular, he was an ornery cuss. You know? And, and he walked in and he said, you know, my, my wife and my kids have left me. And I was like, good for them. But I didn't say that. I said, well, why do you think your wife and your kids left you? And here's what he said. He said, because I'm an ornery cuss. And my dad was an ornery cuss. And his dad was an ornery cuss. And I don't know what to do. And then he broke down and just bawled like a baby before me. And I thought, wow. I said, well, I don't know what to do completely, but I do know this. Your first step is to say, I'm not going to live this life any, anymore. I'm going to seek to live a new way. I'm going to seek to put God first in my life. Are you willing to do that? And he said, yes, and we prayed together, and he confessed. And I got to tell you, it was hard Hard for him to do that. Hard for him because he had to learn, unlearn so much before he could learn anything. And day after day, he had to remind himself, I got to take off my crown. I, I have to pursue a different way. And is there space for guys like him or girls like him or people like them that are trying to find their way back to God? James says, you want to be a community of faith that will win, that will prevail, that will be a part of God's movement in the world? Help people find their way back to God. Maybe some of you are finding your way back, and we're so thankful you're here. We pray for you. We love you. We know it's a hard journey, but we want to encourage you we want to bless you. We want to help you. That's why we do all that we do every week in between Sundays. We want to help you find your way back to God. Can we be that church? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your goodness and your grace and your love for us, which is demonstrated so powerfully as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey to 
the wave of palm branches. He was saying, I'm not here to become this earthly kingdom ruler. I've come here to serve you, to bless you, to die for you. To make a way back so you can experience fellowship with my father, with me. Lord, I pray that all of us here would take that next step back to you. And we would in faith trust your goodness and your grace. And we would find others around us who would encourage us and build us up so that we could experience your goodness. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.